Alright, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're looking at the first six verses. And again, I want to remind you that this is an interesting letter because this is really a very personal letter. Because what's going on here with the Apostle Paul is, is that he's writing a group, this church, this church that he started. These are people that he has led to the Lord. These are the fruit of his ministry, but they're kind of, they're kind of rejecting where he's at. They're kind of rejecting his ministry a little bit. And so, some of this is coming through what we're going to be reading, especially today. So let's look and see. First of all, let's look at verses 1 to 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not by not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So the first thing he's going to talk to them about is a question of introduction. So let's look at a couple things here. First of all, Paul questions whether he needs letters of introduction to present to them. He's basically saying to them, guys, do I need to, do, does there need to be a formal introduction to you concerning who I am? Back then what would happen is, is that whenever there was a traveling evangelist, and a lot of them did travel, or a traveling missionary, and, and even to this day there is something of a, still of a practice of that where missionaries when they call they will bring you letters of recommendation from another pastor or whatever. But back then, because you didn't know the validity of who was coming, if, let's say, Rod was the traveling minister and he came here, he would bring a letter from a sister church that we would know of commending him to us. That this is Rod Straw, he is a minister of the gospel, he is a man of integrity and so forth, and he is here to help you guys, blah, blah, blah. And it would be a letter of commendation so that they would know who it is that is coming to see them. And so, what Paul is saying, obviously there's some kind of a strain in the relationship here. They were questioning Paul. They were questioning his validity of his ministry. And so, what he's saying to them is, guys, do I need to come to you again with a formal letter of introduction? First of all, he didn't come to them with a letter of introduction in the first place. Remember, he's the one who started the church. And so, he's saying, guys, you know what? I don't need to tell you who I am. I'm your spiritual father. So can you see the relationship there? You can see why Paul's writing what he's writing. And so then he goes on and talks about their testimony. Paul points out that they are a testimony of his work. He said, look guys, you are the epistle. Now, epistle is a letter. Does everybody understand? When we say epistle, it's really what we're talking about is a letter. He's saying... Guys, you are my letter of recommendation. I don't need to bring a letter of recommendation. You are my letter because you really are the fruit of my labor. You are the testimony of what I did there in Corinth. And so he says to them, guys, I don't need to do this because really, you're the letter. You're the letter. 
See, Paul said, you guys are an epistle, he says to the Corinthians, of my work. Why do I need to commend myself again to you? So let's go on now. Now he says that he points out that they are a testimony of his work. Paul points out that they are also a testimony of Christ's work in their life. When you look at verse 3, he talks about that they are a testimony. And he said it's not written on tablets of stone, but rather it's written on flesh that is what? The heart. See, their test, the testimony of Christ's work in their life is written on their what? Heart. On, on our hearts. It's really written on our hearts, the testimony of Christ's work. So let's look at verses 4 to 6 now, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about ministers of the new covenant. And we have such a trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So let's first of all look at verse 4. We're going to talk about Paul's trust here. Paul's confidence was based on the fact that it was God who makes us competent. His confidence in who he is as a minister of the gospel, as an apostle, was not based on his gifts, was not based on his knowledge, but was based on the fact that it was God who was making him competent. Now, I want you to think for a moment. If we look at our gifts, if we look at our level of educations, if we look at our positions and stuff, how, how do we normally feel about that? Are we secure in ourselves? Do we feel we're confident if we look at ourselves? Okay, we usually compare ourselves to others. But if we were just to look at ourselves, would, there be, would we feel confident about ourselves? And to do what God wants us to do? No, what, 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 would come, what, what would be some of the things that we would wrestle with? Our past sins? Big one right there. Oh, there's no way I could do that. God, you, don't know, what I, you know what I did before, Lord. There's no way I'm disqualified or whatever. Doubt? Doubt in what? All right, you don't trust yourself or maybe you don't trust God enough to use you? Yeah, a lack of faith maybe? Anybody else? What else would you be thinking? There's no way I could do that because I don't have the knowledge to do that. I don't have the education to do that. I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. We could go on and on and on, can't we? Okay, or I don't have enough gumption to do that. Yeah, I don't have enough gumption. stick to But see, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying rather than looking at himself, he is, what, confident based upon the fact that who makes him confident? God makes him confident. See, here's the thing. When we look at ourselves, you're always going to think that you're not good enough. Whenever God presents you with a challenge of something that he wants you to accomplish, speaks to you and says that you need to do this, you're always going to find reasons why not to do it. Just think about Moses for a minute. Remember Moses at the burning bush? 
his, his encounter with God in the burning bush. And God wanted him to do what? Well, not just remove his sandals, but he was commissioning him to do something. Yeah, go talk to Pharaoh and do what? Lead the people out of where? Out of Egypt in bondage. Now, what was Moses' excuse? Yeah, I can't speak, Lord. Send somebody else. What else do you think? Yeah, they're not going to listen to me. Who am I, God? I'm just a dirty, no good, scrub, you know, shepherd on the backside of the desert here. You're going to send me? Who was Moses looking at in that whole interchange? Who, do, who should have Moses been looking at? I mean, he should have been looking at the one who was talking to him out of a bush that was not being consumed with fire. The one who said, I am. His confidence should have been in who? God. But see, you and I are just like Moses, aren't we? So what Paul here says is, look, when you look at verse 4, Paul says that and we have such trust through, through Christ towards God. That his confidence came through Christ towards God. That's where his confidence was. That's where his confidence was. So when you think of him being a minister of the new covenant, his confidence there was not based on himself, because in the last letter he said he came to them in fear and trembling. Remember? He came to them fearful and trembling because of the things he had just gone through. He didn't want to persuade them with eloquent words, but rather with the power of God. Paul recognizes he has his issues that he's dealing with, but he recognizes that his confidence is in God. Let me just stop for a moment. Does anybody here know what the New Covenant is? We are ministers of the New Covenant. What is the New Covenant? Grace. Anybody else? What is the New Covenant? The blood of Christ. Anybody else want to expand it? First of all, what's the Old Covenant? The law. The law which was given to who? Was it given to you? Okay, why don't you remember that? It wasn't given to you. In fact, you were excluded from it. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that you were excluded from the covenant. But now the New Covenant comes. We're ministers of the New Covenant. The New Covenant comes. Blood of Christ. Grace. What does that mean for us now? Who does the New Covenant include? All. All who what? Trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work. See, that is the New Covenant. You are ministers of the New Covenant. So that's what Paul's talking about here. Now, let's look at, the first, let's look at verse 5 here now. <clears throat> look at the first part. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. So what's Paul saying here? Paul recognized that in and of himself, he was not competent. Notice what he says there. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything, to think of anything as being from ourselves. He says we don't even think that we're able to think that we have what it takes. So Paul's got a realistic attitude that as he's thinking about being a minister of the new covenant, his, his competence, his, his confidence, his, he feels competent to do the task because of Christ, he also recognizes what? That he's not able to do it. There's nothing in him that allows him to do it. So let's just stop for a moment. Let's bring that on a level that all of us can understand. 
Do you realize that this church has a job? Do you realize that? What's the, what's the job of this church? Why do we exist here? Represent Christ, but what else? Well, not to save, because only one saves. Bring people, or present the message of salvation, because it's God who saves. So does everybody understand, our job, our purpose for being here, is we are a lighthouse, so to speak, in the community, so that others, that is your friends, your relatives, the people you work with, and your neighbors, have an opportunity to what? Hear about Jesus. And have an opportunity of whether or not to accept Him or reject Him. Remember, we talked about that last week, about our lives being what? Either an aroma of life or an aroma of death. Remember that? And so what we're looking at here is that our purpose is to share the gospel. And those who come to faith, our purpose then is to help them to grow in their faith. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we sufficient enough for the task? No, good answer. Don't ever think you are. You and I are not sufficient for the task. We lack the resources. We lack the brain power. We lack in every way possible to impact our community for Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? In and of ourselves, it's impossible. The question would be, well then, why bother? Why not just hang it up? Why not just forget about it then? Because we can't do it. Look at who we are. Look at who we are. Now, the reason, the problem with that is that we're looking at who then, rather than who. Who are we looking at? Ourselves. Now, let me ask you a question. Us plus God. Can we do it? Us plus God. Better yet, God can do it with us. We being His tools. See, it's God who reaches. You are the vessel in His hand. So, for instance, I've used this illustration before. I don't think I've used it in a long time. But it's sort of like going to the mechanic. You've got a problem with your vehicle. And He fixes your vehicle. Now, do you, after your vehicle gets fixed and you're really happy, do you go over to his tool chest and look at the snap-on tools there and say, boy, you were a pretty good wrench. Boy, that screwdriver over there really did the job, didn't it? Do you do that? Who do you commend? The guy who turned the wrench, right? Yeah, you you turn, you, you commend the guy who used the wrench, the you, you commend the mechanic. Boy, my car's running great. You did a great job on it. I'll be back. You, know, you don't go around looking to see who's using snap-on tools. You go to the guy who used the snap-on tools, right? It's the same thing. We want to commend ourselves, but we realize, what? We're not competent. Who gets all the glory if God uses us? God does. See, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that his, his confidence is in Christ, not in ourselves. He recognizes that we're not sufficient for the task. Hey, let me just free you up. 
Some of you want to be used by God. You want to be used by God. You want to touch people in your life with the gospel. You want them to come into a relationship with Jesus. But you're defeated about it. And the reason why you're defeated about it is because you've got your focus on the wrong thing. You've got your focus where? When it should be somewhere else. Where's your focus? On our own selves. On our own abilities. On our own resources. But where should it be? Yeah, on the Lord. You understand? He's the one. He's the one who will give you the ability. He's the one who will strengthen you. Listen, it's interesting because when you look at the kind of people that God uses, He uses the weak and the insignificant. In fact, He said that, Paul said that in the first letter to the Corinthians. He said that God uses the weak and the insignificant to confound the people of this age who are wise. So the Apostle says that uh, he recognized that he was not competent. So then now he talks about the sufficiency of God. Look at the last part of verse 5. But our sufficiency is from God. Paul recognized that only God could empower him for the work. John 15.5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See, the only way that you're going to accomplish anything for God in the kingdom, the only way that you're going to be used of Him is for who to work through you? God. Can you do it on your own? No. No, not at all. And so Paul recognized that only God could empower him to the work. You know, when you think about the task that we have here, we live in a community. The zip code here, 16833, has 2,600 people in this, in this zip code. Clearfield, if you live in 16830, has 6,800 people. And if you think about Clearfield, Kerwinsville, Pike Township, Lawrence Township, and you think about the collective there, you're looking at about 15,000 people. That is our ministry area. How are we doing? Can we do it? Not in our own strength. But if somebody empowers us, will we be able to do it? Now, let me just stop for a moment, because in our mind we're thinking, oh, numbers. I'm not talking about Billy Graham Crusades, everybody walks forward and you know, you've got to build a, you got to build ten big, you know, ten times the size of building to fit everybody from the community in. We're just talking about reaching one person at a time as God brings them to Christ through you. You understand? But the thing is, are you able to do it? Not in your own strength, but are you able to do it with God? Yes. Yes. See, Paul says he's a minister of the gospel, not in his own strength, but it was God who empowered him for the work. It was God who gave him the ability to minister among them and wherever else. God is the one who gave him the ability. 
So, how does knowing that Christ is sufficient help help is sufficient help you to accomplish what God is asking you to do? How does it, how does knowing that Christ is sufficient enough for you help you to accomplish what He wants you to do? Okay, He gives you the confidence. Everybody hear what Janice said? He gives you the confidence to do it. What else? How does, it, how does the sufficiency of Christ, knowing that He is sufficient, help you to accomplish what it is that He wants you to do? Takes you off the hook. Did everybody hear that one over here? Whew. That was great, Mike. Because how many of you have heard this? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? You've got their blood on your hands. How many of you heard that? Now, when you were told that, how'd that make you feel? Scared. Okay. Like there was a special section in the Bible that we didn't find there that talked about the judgment about us having their blood on our hands. Like that's the one thing that God would not forgive. Anybody found that anywhere? Last time I read through the New Testament, I didn't find that. Did you find that somewhere, Rob? Okay, Hezekiah. I thought it was in the book of Independent Baptist. All right. Now, how, how did you feel? Scared? What else? Guilty. Guilty. Why would you feel guilty? You don't want to see anyone lost, but what else? Why else would you feel guilty? Can't measure up? You didn't do your job? Or you, quote, didn't do it what? Right? Because here's what happens. Let's say Tom's unsaved and I share the gospel with him. Tom decides, I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to respond. So Tom goes on and he's still headed for hell. I start thinking, well, maybe I didn't share it right. If only I had shared it like Billy Graham. Maybe I need to watch a few more of his crusades on television to see how he does it. I didn't have an aisle there for them to walk. And so you begin to feel guilty because you start thinking, well, I didn't have enough Bible knowledge to ask me a question and I didn't have, I didn't have the answer. If I had only known they would have been saved today and their blood is on my hands. How many of you felt that way? Let me ask you a question. What is your responsibility? Let's get it in perspective, because all of these are lies. Let's, what is your responsibility? What did Jesus tell you to do? Be faithful in what? To, to Christ. And what else are we to do? Yes. I'm only to share it. Do you save anybody? Who saved you? Jesus saved you. Did your parents save you? Did some preacher save you? Did uh, some televangelist save you? I mean, whoever. Did some boy, you know, whatever. Did, was it your buddy or your friend? Did they save you? No. Who saved you? All right, so whose responsibility is it to save people? What's my responsibility? Share. And listen, you can only share what you know. You can only share what you know. Hey, if you're in the grace group, some of you, most of you have already gone through Some of you haven't. Remember we did that study? Some of you did it last spring, the study on sharing. 
And the emphasis in that study was just sharing what you know. And sharing your life will have a bigger impact. See, that's more important than... And see, you you understand what I'm saying? That alleviates the guilt. See, so the sufficiency of Christ helps me to recognize that He's the one who empowers me. He's the one who gives me wisdom. He's the one who gives me words. Because in and of myself, I can't do it. So when somebody comes to faith, somebody comes that you have the privilege of seeing somebody that maybe you shared with come to faith later on, or maybe you have the privilege of leading somebody to Christ, and you're all excited. Who are you excited about? You or God? should be excited about God, about His saving. You see what I'm saying? Because that's where the glory belongs. Okay, we've got three more points here to make real quick. God is the one who enables and empowers us to be ministers. Look at verse 6 who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is he saying here? God is the one who enables you, and He empowers you to be ministers of the Gospel. Don't ever think that you are not competent enough. Don't be scared because you're worried about some question they're going to throw at you. Recognize that He's the one who enables you to do it. He empowers you to be His minister. God is the one who gives you the strength to do it. Do you understand? Look, if they throw some weird, whacked out question at you about, what about the lost Gospels? I saw this on A&E, or I saw it on the History Channel, and the Gospel of Thomas, and blah, 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 you know. What about that? Say, oh, I don't know. But I can find out for you. But here's what I do know. And let me tell you what it means in my life. So they can't argue with what it is in your life. They're just trying to probe you because they're confused about some television program they saw. By the way, most people who talk about the Gospel of Thomas have never read it. If they had read it, they would know that the Gospel of Thomas calls for all women to become men. I've never heard that one quoted before. So, I mean, the Gospel of Thomas has some major problems with it. Most people who talk about it haven't read it. But it's not you. Don't worry. Don't even say that. Just say, I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. Stay with where you know. When you venture out in areas that you don't know, you end up looking what? Stupid, foolish. So stay where you know. Because it is who that enables you. God, it is who that empowers you. God, recognize that. Rest in that. Say, Lord, I'm hoping to have an opportunity to share with my friend. You give me the wisdom. You give me the strength. You give me discernment. You allow them to see Jesus in my life. It's got to be God. Okay, let's go on. We have been made ministers of the new covenant. Notice what he says there. Verse 6. Ministers of the New Covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. See, it's not a covenant of what? Yeah, it's not a covenant, not just words, but of the law. When we talk about the letter, we're talking about keeping the letter of the law. You've been set free from that. You've been set free from that. It's a You are now a minister of what? The New Covenant, which is freedom in Christ. 
Freedom in Christ. It is the ministry of God's grace through what? The Holy Spirit. Not the law. Hey, can you keep the law? There's not a person here who can keep the law. When I hear somebody say things like this, I know they don't know what they're talking about. They say, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Ever met somebody like that? And when they tell you that, you already know that they have failed. And it doesn't take much. You don't even have to know whether or not they committed adultery. You don't know if they killed anybody. But I know one big one that Americans struggle with. That's covetousness. All you got to do is ride down the road with them and they'll say, Woo! Look at that Ford Mustang. I'd love to have that one. And you can already say, what did Jesus, what did, what did, what does the scripture say? That if you fail in one point of the law, you fail in what? All points of the law. See, that was the old covenant. The new covenant is God's grace through the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.